In this edition of Hoopsology, Matt and Justin first welcome Jenna Contreras, director of ESPN Films' latest documentary, 144, that takes viewers inside the WNBA's unprecedented 2020 season. Jenna describes what it was like being inside the WNBA bubble and what viewers can expect watching the documentary. Then Matt presents his league trends and the hosts break down who deserves the MVP besides Nikolai Jokic. If the Lakers are in trouble in a play-in game scenario, and we discuss which teams will make waves in the playoffs that teams, excuse me, that people aren't expecting. As always, you can get in touch with the show through email at hoopsallshepod at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. And now enjoy the interview with Jenna Contreras. She is one of the directors of ESPN's films, latest documentaries, 144, that takes viewers inside the WNBA's unprecedented 2020 season. The documentary airs May 13th on ESPN. We welcome Jenna Contreras onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Jenna? Hey, guys. I'm great. How's it, how's it going with you guys? We're doing pretty well. Thanks for joining the show. And once I heard about this documentary, I, I saw it on Twitter and immediately I was like, I got to find who's making this documentary. <laughs> so that's, that's when I, that's when I, I found you on Twitter and you were very gracious to join the show. Um, so I, I want to ask you, what was the motivation and putting together this, this documentary? Yeah. So, you know, um, with Shania Gumake's being one of the executive producers on this, um, she had the great idea of essentially marrying her two companies of the WNBA and ESPN. And so, you know, we're all in this pandemic. There's talks about, you know, sports coming back, talks about the WNBA being in a bubble. So she pitched the idea to ESPN Films, said, hey, guys, what do you think about doing this all access, unprecedented time in the world in the WNBA bubble for the 2020 season? Is this something you guys are interested in? Can we make this happen? And so, you know, uh, ESPN Films jumped at the chance. They then reached out to my current group that I'm in, which is part of the ESPN Features Unit. And myself and Lauren Stoll were assigned the project. And about um, three weeks later, I was in Bradenton, Florida. And so we moved very quickly. Um, you know, the season had already started, but we had to do, I had to do quarantine outside at home before I went to Florida and then quarantine in Florida as well. Um, but, you know, we had to adjust in the way of how we would shoot a documentary. You know, usually when you get the assignment of cover an entire league of 144 women, you would have more than one camera. But because of COVID restrictions and because of everything that was going on, uh, we had to have a very tiny footprint. And so that uh, footprint was just myself, one camera and one audio tech uh, to cover a full league. So, you know, being in partnership with Shanae was instrumental in us being able to really hit the ground running and start filming and creating these relationships with the players, uh, because she essentially had vouched for us. She said, you know, Jenna is going to be the director or producer of this. She's coming in the bubble. She's cool. Talk to her. Let's do it. And so, you know, that just really expedited the entire time of our relationships when we got into the bubble. How was it like for you in the bubble? We had a journalist that was in the NBA bubble, and I think he had mixed emotions in terms of it was exciting oh, yeah. seeing all the games. You know, it was you can't see all the playoff games; it's impossible to travel. But in this bubble, you're able to see you know all these athletes in a row. So, what was it like for you um, to seeing you know all these great WNBA athletes all at once, as compared to your regular season, you would have to travel to city to city? What was that like for you to see them up close like that? You know, it was, it's really kind of special, right? Because there's a few amount of people that got to watch the games the way that I was able to observe and cover. Um, so it was kind of surreal at times, you know, like when we were in this bubble, 
there is no separation of work and home. You are working where you are living. You are living where you are working and there's no separation. Um, so that was, you know, sometimes challenging because we wanted to make sure that, you know, the players had a quote unquote off time where they can kind of let their hair down and not worry about being filmed or what have you. And, um, you know, it was also hard for the crew and us, you know, like we were in it together of we left our families, we left our everything that was going on and we're kind of sequestered into this bubble too. And I think one thing that, you know, across the board, people didn't really consider as being a huge factor was the mental health toll that was going on. You know, everyone was just so excited for sports. I was excited for sports. And then I get there and it's like, holy crap, like you take, you really do take for granted being able to jump in your car and buy a smoothie or go to Target or pick out your own produce, just like the little things of everyday life. And so, you know, it was interesting to be able to have this experience with these women. You know, I've, I've talked to a bunch of them still after the bubble. And, you know, we just kind of laugh of like, you can't really explain what the bubble is and really clearly make anyone understand unless you've lived it. And so it's kind of this, you know, this unspoken bond that we all have for going through this time together. Jenna, what was the day-to-day like in, in the WNBA bubble? Was it daily testing before going to your activity activities and your coverage? And can you just kind of describe the day-to-day for us? Yeah. So every single day um, we would have to get a COVID test, just like everyone that was in the bubble, every player of the league, team officials, WNBA staff. Um, so our day started off with a COVID test. And then um, usually there would be, you know, a production meeting of me and my DP. We would have breakfast and kind of just go over the day of, you know, what the schedules of players were doing, who had games, who was off, you know, because everyone was playing every other day and off days weren't really a thing. But, you know, we're trying to find that balance of, okay, if the Sparks are having an off day today, is there a team bonding event that they're doing? If we go cover the Phoenix Mercury game, are we going to miss out on somebody's rehab that's going on? Um, so we really, you know, had to be very conscious of the choices that we made with filming to make sure that we were giving the viewer the full scope of what the bubble was. You know, it wasn't just basketball. It was working with um, social injustice. It was motherhood in and outside of the bubble with your children. It was rehab for some. And then it was also just, you know, COVID and just being able to like relax and things. So um, no day was ever the same. Um, You know, we tried as best as we could uh, map out what we would do. But, you know, being a documentary crew, you need to be nimble. So we would adjust. And sometimes, like, you know, we were all on this campus at IMG Academy and we had a golf cart to get around. And Sometimes we just ride around the golf cart and you're like, oh, the Chicago Sky are doing a pool workout. Cool. Let's film that. Or, oh, the Indiana Femur are doing a paint night. Let's go see what that's going on. And so, yeah, we would try to best, you know, plan our day. It was definitely planned in pencil just to be able to react to whatever was going to be going on. Jenna, um, I wanted to ask you, what do you want viewers to take away when watching the documentary? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, this is a film of resiliency, right? Like these women are so strong in their convictions and so powerful and so intelligent and are just pure role models and just of not just for young women, but for men, women, boys, girls. There's so much that you could take away from these women and they're just kind of the essence of what it means to be like a fully rounded good human being. 
And, you know, I just hope that people take away um, a respect that these women deserve. You know, like you can watch this film and you don't have to be a WNBA player prior to watch it. If you watch it, you're for sure going to be a WNBA player um, fan afterwards, you know. Um, But there's just so much more to these women and the vulnerability and the grace that they showed with us. You know, I hope it jumps off the screen and that people can relate to these women and also, you know, maybe in some of the scenes that we have, they can learn something. Do you see the the wobble, as it was um, called? Do you see this being kind of a turning point for the league? I just noticed a lot more traction with this upcoming season in terms of just the jersey reveals, the schedule reveal. Yeah. Um, just great, right? Things, yeah, exactly. It's, it's awesome, mm-hmm. and it seems like it was it started from the bubble. Do you see this as kind of like a taking off standpoint for a new era of the of the WNBA? Obviously, the circumstances weren't the best, but could this be kind of a blessing in disguise in a way to really um, exp- the, the bubble was a jumping off point for new fans. And now they're jumping into the, the real WNBA season coming up. Right. I think what we've learned is if you put it on TV, people are going to watch it and you just need to make it accessible for people, you know, with lack of sports during a time, the WNBA was able to kind of capitalize on that and have more games viewed than ever before on ESPN and other broadcast partners. And so when we saw that the ratings were up 68% across all TV platforms, that's a substantial amount a number when, you know, a lot of sports um, programming numbers were down. So I think it, like they, they have capitalized on it and they've just kind of been riding this wave. And I think also, you know, if you even see like the college women, and they're speaking out about um, the unright circumstances of what they were having in the um, NCAA championship bubbles. I think, you know, these women are not afraid to speak out and to call attention to when things aren't right. And that's, you know, the WNBA has always done this. Now there's this kind of younger generation that's following suit. And I think people are listening, you know, like social media is powerful. People want to watch the sports and, you know, large media outlets are giving them the TV time. So I think it is growing and it is kind of this blessing in disguise, you know, like as hard as 2020 was, there was still some great things that happened. And if that, if the growth of the league can come out of that, then it's an amazing thing. Oh, go ahead, Matt. Jenna, I was just going to ask you, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but uh, two things. Does does the documentary kind of take a look at all the teams of the WNBA with, um, you know, it, it seems like it would be kind of tough to focus on each and every team. And, and I think another thing to your point, you know, you mentioned getting more exposure, of course, gives the opportunity for more ratings, which thankfully is what happened. Do you, do you see this documentary like creating, I, I don't want you to give anything away, but potentially like creating some new stars and putting a spotlight on some players that maybe more casual fans haven't seen much of before? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, we had the wonderful opportunity to really meet and connect with these women. I mean, I did 60, over 60 interviews in the bubble and, you know, wow. that's, not all the women got to make it, but, you know, there were players that are going to highlight it in the film that, you know, necessarily aren't those household names, but, you know, their personalities are just fantastic and they're just amazing people. So, you know, this is kind of a viewpoint for people that maybe haven't heard of, you know, the Ariel Atkins of the world or, you know, someone else that is kind of finally getting the chance to shine a little bit. Um, we tried our best to really feature every team, you know, obviously, 
the aces and storm spoiler alert are going to be featured more um you know they made it all the way to the end and so um we tried really tried to focus on everyone and you know we made sure every team is represented in some way of it but um that was a difficult task to do <laughs> jenna um what was it like in in the wobble when kind of the, the height of the social justice uh movement took place and when you saw the players take a stand you kind of walk us through without kind of spoiling a documentary i guess how much of that is in your documentary in terms of the the WNBA players being on the forefront of social justice because i don't i still don't think they get the credit as they deserve in terms of the other leagues following suit it really was the WNBA for years um, before any other sports league so when you're in the in the WNBA bubble when everything was was taking place what was going through your mind was was the i guess the main topic of when you entered the bubble, did that change because of what was happening with the WNBA players taking a stand for social justice? When we first entered the bubble, we knew that there was going to be kind of five pillars that we were going to cover, right? What is a bubble? A season of, of basketball in a bubble. COVID, you know, with the whole world burning around us and what's going on. Social injustice. Like you said, the women have always been at the forefront before it was trendy to do motherhood, because this is a league where there are mothers, you know, and how is parenting with your child in the bubble and the parenting when your child is outside the bubble and mental health, you know, how are people adjusting in this when literally, you know, this isn't what they signed up to do. They didn't sign up to play basketball in a single site and not be able to see their loved ones or have the treatment or the doctors or anyone else that would be around them to really, you know, keep their game, their bodies in shape. So those were the five things that we really wanted to um, have through the documentary and really show. So day 12 was uh, day 12 was when Jacob Blake shooting uh, reaction happened. Um, so we were very early. We shot for 52 days. So this was very early in, in our filming process. And, you know, it was a turning point. Um, they, we had, it started off like any other day. We had just finished an interview with Leisha Clarendon and then we walked downstairs and there's breaking news. The Milwaukee Bucks are not playing. And then, you know, we knew something was going to happen. We knew, we didn't know what, but there was no way that the women of the W weren't just going to stand by or play and not make a statement. So, um, we had to really just be nimble and be ready to react to what was going on. And, you know, what you'll see in the documentary is that that moment really just kind of reinforced why they were there in the first place. You know, they dedicated their season to say her name and Breonna Taylor and to just social uh, injustice efforts. And so when that moment came, you know, it was it was hard. It was tough. It was emotionally draining. It was, um, you know, there are very raw and honest conversations from the moment that you'll see in the documentary um, that I think makes the WNBA just, again, unlike any other, because they really, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, they're going to listen to what everyone says and everyone's thoughts about that. And, you know, that was a hard time for everyone to decide what to do next, you know, even discussing if they were going to play that night. That was a league decision. That wasn't just a one-team decision. Um, so, you know, that it's featured in the documentary and it's, you know, some some things that I think, you know, are very historical that will never happen again. And it just, you know, it kind of reinforced and reset the tone of why they were playing in the first place. And then that was certainly the turning point for the documentary and then our even our structure of the storytelling. 
Jenna, I also want to ask you to that point of the WNBA and them taking a stand. Um, we saw with the NBA, they had that you know famous meeting where all the players met, and there was a lot of arguing. There was a lot of conflict in terms of how to proceed with this season. Um, the WNBA seems pretty unified. Was that the case in your, um, I guess, documenting everything that was going on? Did you, or did you see kind of conflicting opinions in terms of certain news events would come up and maybe some players would have maybe a different approach in terms of you know the league addressing the situation? How did – was it – pretty much everybody was on the same page or were there, I guess, um, contrarian voices um, with the players that you, you, which you observed? Yeah. You got to watch. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> well, too. Ah, teaser. Gotcha. Um, then I want to ask you with this point was yourself, was there anything that you experienced in the bubble that caught you by surprise that, you wouldn't think that would have occurred or anything, not, sh- not particularly shocking, but something that you're like, huh, I didn't think this would, you know, happen, <laughs> be taken apart of this bubble. Huh. Well, I guess just the first of like, huh, I had ne- like, if you would have told me that I was going to spend 62 days <laughs> in a bubble with an entire league, I would have told you that you were crazy and that would never happen. So I just think the fact that I even was there was, you know, just such a crazy thing. And I, you know, it was, I think the one thing that caught me off guard, I would say, was not being in the bubble, but leaving the bubble. Um, because we had been there for so long, we had kind of a schedule, you know, like we, COVID was still a thing, but it really wasn't a thing because we were safe. We were in this bubble where everyone was getting tested every single day. We all had on masks, like, you know, you're, you kind of become, it's this small community where you're just walking around and you're waving to everyone if you know them or not. And everyone waves back to you because, hey, there's only a certain amount of people in this whole entire bubble and you're going to run into each other all the time. So it kind of became this community. And then it was almost scary to leave the bubble in a way because our sense of schedule and sense of purpose that we'd had for 62 days was gone. You know, like we had a job to go and cover the, the WNBA season and document it. And, you know, we knew every morning we would have a COVID test. We knew when we would have lunch and dinner and we'd have some games or practices or, you know, some lifestyle filming. And then we woke up and that was no longer a thing anymore. So it was weird having to adjust going back to normal or back to civilization out into the wild again after, you know, we you were kind of sequestered and safe like the news and everything was happening around you in the world, but you weren't so inundated by it. Right. Because like in 2020, everyone's home, everyone's just reading news feeds and have the news on 24 seven. We didn't have the time to do that. So it was almost like a nice break from reality. And then going, leaving it was like, Oh crap. Like we are going back to reality. And what are we going back to? And does your documentary address the long-term consequences of the WNBA bubble, both positive and negative in terms of not only the player psyche, but also perhaps that, you know, obviously you don't want the players to spend that much time away from their families, but however, a bubble like atmosphere where fans can go if once the pandemic is over, could that, was that even something that the players might be interested in in the future, just considering the interests of just viewers at home um, just wanting to watch the bubble? Is this something that could be possible in the future or is this like a no goes impossible unless there's another pandemic? We'll never see a WNBA bubble again. <laughs> oh, I, I've, I asked a very similar question to people when they were leaving and some were like, no, nah, you know, I kind of like it. It's kind of like Olympic village. It's kind of like college, you know, maybe the younger players were a little bit more amenable 
to those circumstances. But, you know, some of the veterans are like, no, I'm not doing this ever again. <laughs> I get it. You know, like it, it's a lot to ask when you didn't sign up for that. Um, so I don't think that there would be another WNBA season in the bubble without a pandemic. And I also hope that there isn't another one because that means that we're in another pandemic. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Well, Jenna, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media, um, when the documentary airs, and anything else you're working on in uh, 2021 as well. Yeah. So uh, on Twitter, you can find me at, at Jenna C. Contreras. Um, on Instagram, I am Jenna C. 23. The documentary 144 will air this Thursday, May 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Uh, we also have an original song that was written by uh, Disney singer and songwriter Blush uh, that it's titled Enough is Enough that is very strong. And she, you know, watched the film and used that as her muse and she captured it beautifully. Um, so there will be a music video to go along with the film that will be dropping uh, later next week. And, you know, I this has been my baby in my life for the last 10 months. So the next thing I'm working on is a little bit of vacation. Cool. Um, but after that, I'm looking forward to getting the opportunity to tell more uh, women athlete stories. Well, Jenna, thank you very much for coming on to the show. Um, I speak for Matt that um, we're really looking forward to the documentary. Um, this is, I think, a must-see for just not even, I think, sports fans, just for it's people walking the planet, <laughs> just to yeah. really observe what's, what, what happened um, when these extraordinary women, um, you know, not only was just playing a game, but also um, was using their voice as well for, for a great cause. So um, this, is, this is a must-see. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Thank you, Jenna, very much. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Welcome to another episode of Hoopsology, part of the Off the Glass Basketball Network. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Justin, good to see you again. Feels like it's it's been some time since we did the main show. Right. First thing I got to say, first and foremost, shout out to all the mothers out there, of course. Happy Mother's Day. We are recording this on Sunday night. Um, so shout out to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day. In uh, personal TMI news that nobody needs to know, I, I'm a little bit thankful that the camera isn't zoomed in on me. I, I've been trying <laughs> to grow this beard for a while, and I made the mistake of trimming my mustache. I trimmed it a little bit too short. So, so when you actually see me in person, Justin, I, I look kind of like Abe Lincoln right now, like like <laughs> the redhead Abe Lincoln. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a little relieved when I saw the camera right now that you know you you can't really tell that much from this angle. But trust me, if if you get close, it's it's not pretty. How are no, you? <laughs> it's all good. No, I've I've had some mishaps trimming my eyebrows too short. So I definitely feel you. I'm good, man. Um, I got a basketball thing to ask you first. We didn't discuss this off air, but I want to talk to you about this. And um, it's about Steph Curry. And yesterday, I think he had close to like 50 points. He didn't get there, but yeah, he hit 11 in 29 yeah. minutes. I think. There you go. And Sorry. he hit 11 threes. You're right. Yeah. So to that point, do you think they should have just played him in the fourth quarter? Like there's been several instances where He's been on fire, and yet he just sets. And I don't know. I used to be at this point. I, I'm not one of these guys, at least till now, that was like, oh, let him play for history. Let him play in his meaningless game. But I don't know. Steph just seems to be a hyper-irregular case. So um, I'm just curious, in your mind, do you think just sitting him 
for the fourth quarter once the game is in hand. I mean, obviously that's the logical thing to do in terms of not getting him hurt. I mean, if he plays and gets hurt, then Steve Kerr is going to take a bunch of crap for it. But in terms of just history, I mean, there's just sometimes where he's just so on fire and it seems so unstoppable that it's, he's just stopped in the fourth quarter. I mean, do you, do you have any opinion on that or did you think this logic should just take hold? Gosh, it's, it's pretty amazing, right? I mean, yeah. like you, I don't think you saw this all that much, you know, kind of back in the day, so to speak. You know, I, I feel like during the 73 win season, that would have been the time that the Warriors would have pulled the trigger on stuff like that because you're simultaneously going for that regular season wins record. Sure. The fact that they didn't do it that season, I can much more understand them resting him now. I mean, considering he had that weird, freaky tailbone injury. And he's also, you know, he's 32. He's an older point guard now. Weird, freaky things can happen. Uh, it's more likely to happen, more likely to get injured as you're older, um, regardless of which position you play. So I, I don't blame them at all for sitting him at this point. You know, I, I'm with you, though. I think, like, especially back in that record-setting season where they won the 73 games, there were a lot of times where I kind of felt like, man, let's let's let – let's see how far past 60 points Steph can push. You know, let's, let's see if he can get anywhere close to touching Kobe's 81 point game or Wilt's 100. If he really lit it up from three. Yeah, I feel you. There's a question I had in my mind just thought I'd get your uh, take on it, but I, I, I'm feeling more like, I don't know. One of these games, just, just let Steph go when he's close to history. That's a great point because that's one of those things where in 20 years, you know, I think people who weren't in the moment seeing these games or hearing about these performances aren't going to know that the potential was there for him to maybe average quite a few more points per game. If you consider, especially during the Warriors dynasty run, how many of those fourth quarters he was actually sitting which, I mean, it wasn't uncommon hearing about that like every other week or so, sometimes sure. more frequently than that, depending on how the team was performing. So yeah. I, I think that's a great point to bring up. Yeah, for sure. Um, on today's show, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you've already seen the Jenna Contreras um, interview. She is the director of ESPN Films' latest documentary, 144, um, takes viewers inside WNBA's um, unprecedented and unusual season of 2020 um so check that out if you're listening to the audio version you just, you just listen to that interview a great interview with jenna um on today's show we're going to discuss uh, matt's league trends and we're going to break down um who else is in the running for mvp besides the joker um we're going to discuss man uh, i hopefully we can keep it under an hour, the Lakers issues. I mean, this seems like oh it's my lies over there. Um, so we're going to be <laughs> discuss that. Um, and then we're going to discuss which teams are um, going to make ways in the playoffs that people aren't expecting. So please go check that out. And as a quick housekeeping mo- note, excuse me, we are on the otgbasketball.com website, part of the Off the Glass Basketball Network. We're a part of great podcasts on there. So please go check out their website. So Matt, um, what do you have for your training topics this week? Yeah, I will try to go through this quickly. You know, one of the things I want to do today is let you guys know how the play-in games actually work as we approach the season. Like, what what does that look like when we line that up? But anyway, let's start with teams that are coming into this Sunday night with win streaks. If it changes before you hear this podcast, don't at me, okay? It's Sunday night. Uh, Right now, looking 
in the Eastern Conference. We have the 76ers, who seem to have pretty much locked in that one seed. Mathematically, it's not there, but they've won their last eight games. They are sitting pretty in first place in the East. Um, the Bucks have won their last five games. They've locked down the Central Division. The Nets, they're not on a win streak, but they are the only other team in the Eastern Conference that has officially locked in a playoff spot, so a playoff berth. So they're making the playoffs no matter what. Um, we didn't have any other teams with a win streak in the East. Teams on a losing streak, the Cleveland Cavaliers, have lost their last nine games. The Raptors have lost their last three games, and those are your losing streaks in the East. Uh, when we look at one through eight, just quickly, again, it's Sixers, number one, Nets, two, Bucks, three, Knicks at number four, Hawks at number five. That could be a great four five matchup if it holds. The Heat at six, the Celtics at seven, and the Hornets at eight. Now, of course, seven and eight seeds will still be a part of that playoff tournament all the way to 10 will be part of the play-in tournament moving on to the West before I get into describing how the play-in tournament works for those of you who might not be privy to this point let's look at the West the Utah Jazz still sitting at number one they also have a five-game win streak going there's a little bit of there's a game and a half space between them and the Suns who are at number two Suns don't have a, a super long win streak right now. They won their last game. Uh, but just to give you guys kind of the teams that have locked in the playoffs, the Clippers at number three and the Nuggets at number four have all locked in playoff spots. Now, teams with streaks, the next team, fifth, the Mavericks have won their last three. Portland, who is sitting at number six, have also won their last three. So just to finish our 7-8, the Lakers have lost their last two, but they're sitting at number seven. The Warriors are sitting at number eight, and they've won their last two. We don't have any other win streaks in the West, but we do have some losing streaks. The Thunder, which makes sense. They've kind of... Um, been tanking for a while i mean seemingly the whole season with how they've been trying to bring those draft picks in they've lost their last six the timberwolves have lost their last three and the rockets have lost their last five they are sitting at the bottom of the league right now um so moving on to how the playing games work just so you all know and this will tie into a little bit of the Lakers drama we're going to discuss later. We're going to take the Western Conference as an example. So this may not lock into place as it is right now in the standings, but just for um, the sake of this discussion, let's assume it does. So the Lakers are sitting at seventh. The Warriors are sitting at eighth. Memphis is sitting at nine and the Spurs are sitting at 10. So these will be the teams involved in the play in tournament. Now I actually didn't know how this structure worked until I was looking at this earlier this week. And it, it didn't make automatic sense to me that it, it worked this way, but here you go. So the seven seed actually plays the eight seed, not the 10 seed. Like I thought in the very first game here, so the Lakers would play the Warriors in this case, their very first game of the playoffs, if you're counting this play-in tournament as playoffs, which I absolutely do. Um, so then let's say you lose. You go into a second play-in game to play the winner of 9-10. 
So the winner of Memphis, San Antonio, that team that then wins that game becomes the eight seed. So you had two play in tournament games. You then are the eight seed. You get the privilege of playing the on fire Utah jazz. Um, If you win that game. So let's say you are the warriors and you beat the Lakers in this hypothetical scenario, you become the seven seed. So you just had to play that one extra game to then become the seven seed and have the joy of playing the Chris Paul led Phoenix suns who are sitting pretty at number two right now. So now you guys know how the play in tournament works. It is a maximum of two more games if you lose that first game, but then win the second game. So there you have it. That'll give you some context when we talk about maybe certain Lakers who may have complained about playing games real quickly, just to finish my list of trends here, Justin, and then I'll shut my yapper. Uh, Sad news. Zion Williamson uh, likely out for the season may come back in. Should the Pelicans get into the play-in tournament, and then have some unprecedented success. They've been struggling a lot lately, so unlikely. But he fractured his finger. He's likely out for the year unless the Pelicans extend that season. Um, Russell Westbrook this week tied Oscar Robertson. You probably saw this, Justin. He tied Oscar Robertson for career triple-doubles with his 181st triple-double we could talk about this a little bit if you want. It's it's interesting how now this has become, it's kind of like in 2015, really, that year before his MVP season, really the narrative of his entire career got locked in with these triple doubles. Maybe it was just the realization that he's unlikely to win a title now at this point. I don't know. Um, but anyway, he, he is now one of the masters of the triple double, at least by uh, career number of triple doubles. One more thing I, I just wanted to mention that I thought was really interesting. The trailblazers were set to be the only team in the playoffs who weren't going to have fans in attendance because of the rules in the state of Oregon as, as far as, you know, COVID precautions. Obviously, you guys know all about this. We've been talking about this all year. Damian Lillard sent out a tweet that said, uh, I, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing here, so forgive me, but he said basically, oh, so we're going to be the only team in the league without fans. And then within a day, the state changed the rules and Portland Trailblazers will now be allowed 10% attendance, I believe, for these games uh, for the playoffs. So interesting, the influence that uh, a public figure such as Damian Lillard can have. Uh, shout out to Danny Morang. I was, I was following along with his feed, friend of the show. He was uh, covering kind of and giving some of his insights as far as how the state has been handling these COVID precautions as well as uh, what Damian Lillard has been saying. So Justin, I know I said a mouthful there. We had a lot of trends to cover these past two weeks. We got a lot more to discuss, but please give me your thoughts on anything and everything. Um, To your point about this, those restrictions, right? I'm surprised at the number of uh, guests we've had on that they've just been like, Oh, well, every, every NBA arena is going to have fans, but you know, this is a very unpredictable situation. And, you know, I trust the vaccines and I'm seeing the numbers drop, but, you know, you never know. I mean, I didn't think I'd be working from home this time last year either still. So, you know, anything can happen. So it, it is a possibility to which you have two teams that 
they have an uneven amount of capacity of fans. And I'm wondering, is that going to tip the balance of power towards one team or another? It seems so far, talking to our guests, it, it doesn't. So I'm going to trust their judgment on that. But I just find it interesting that um, it seems like a lot of um, experts assume that both teams, when they're traveling, they're going to have a similar amount of fans in the stands. So I, I find that interesting if that's going to really be the case. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like everyone's got different opinions, of course. Sure. I'll, I'll yeah. go ahead and give mine. It, it seems like vaccine rollout has been done relative to other countries I've seen. It seems like it's been done overall pretty well in the U.S., Great. of course, yeah. not perfect. But, sure. but yeah, I mean, we run a system of government where every state runs things differently. So you would imagine with teams being in different states that you're going to have different attendance rates. I mean, there are, there are outdoor stadiums right now that have 100% attendance. You know, we've, we've seen uh, like the Braves recently had a 100% yeah. attendance game. Um, Texas has been doing that for a while. So, you know, you would imagine e- even if every team had fans in attendance, um, not every team is going to have that same percentage of attendance. And, and I do think that gives – like teams that can have can authorize 100% attendance. I do think that gives them a big advantage when we get into critical games in the playoffs, maybe not throughout the entire series, but you talk about like a game six, game seven. I I think it does make a difference. And even interestingly enough, Damian Lillard talked about how he, he felt like they had, it, it had been so long since they had had fans in attendance. They had fans in attendance this week after this happened it had been so long that he forgot what it was like to play in front of live fans. Makes sense. And uh, especially in his home arena. And so this game, he said it felt like the attendance was full, even though it was 10%. Um, interesting to me too, that just an uproar like this would make them change policy on a dime like that. Right. Because sorry, but Damian Lillard's thoughts don't change. <laughs> anything as far as like the science or whatever it so doesn't come me, on Matt. it's game time man to me <laughs> it makes me question the leadership in that yeah. state but that i feel again you. i i don't want to get you know on the weeds with politics and stuff like that yeah. but it, it did make me laugh that yeah. oh gosh one of our state's most beloved celebrities <laughs> has a problem with this let's change our policy um well they're on game time sometimes they want votes they're not, they're not on a Pacific time. They're on game time. So maybe their their sense of uh, logic revolves around <laughs> what Damian Lillard says. But in all seriousness, you're right. It's ridiculous just to go off what an NBA player says, to change <laughs> your whole policy on this on a single state. It's, it's asinine. Um, so we'll, we'll see if it comes back to, to bite them, which is weird also because I, I'm, not, I'm not a scientist, but I thought – that region had high COVID cases recently, like in that Pacific Northwest, um, either it was mm. Portland or Washington, one of those two. So um, that's not exactly a region that is trending down in COVID cases as well. So to just go off the opinion, and I love Damian Lillard, but um, to go off an opinion of an NBA player, I, I find that interesting to say the least. <laughs> that's an understatement. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd heard Oregon was doing particularly well, but yeah. I, I think Washington has had troubles. There you go. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not an expert in that. I mean, I, I'm more on the side of like, hey, go to the game if you want. You had an opportunity to get the shot. Great. Um, you know, but teach their own, of course. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, let's get into this MVP race. And um, who was it? I forgot. It was some podcast I was watching. And forgive me, I, I forget the, the name of the NBA player, but I think he was right in terms of, and I think he was right. Every week I hear somebody else should be the MVP. Like it's just getting kind of ridiculous. Either two things I hear, either somebody should be the, some, like some new name should be the MVP or if the Joker wins MVP is going to de- destroy the league. Is this going to be an ultimate nightmare scenario? So um, just going over the um, Kia MVP ladder ranking. So this is what's on um, NBA.com's website, um, written by Michael C. Wright on NBA.com, as I just mentioned. Um, Nikolai Jokic is at the top of the Kia race to the MVP ladder. I wonder – I hope they don't get a Kia as their award. That would be a disappointment. I think they do. Really? I think they do. I think it's been that way ever since Kia sponsored it. How well? Side note: I wonder how the Joker's going to fit in the Kia, but um, well, we'll see how that goes. But anyways, he's number <laughs> one. Sponsor in, the show, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, he's anyway. The Joker is number one in the rankings. He's averaging twenty six points a game, ten rebounds, about eight point four assists. Um, actually, eleven rebounds. Excuse me, and about um, one point four steals per game. Um, Joel Embiid's number two. Giannis is number three. We have Chris Paul, number four, which is good to see. Um, I think it's good that he's in the mix. Um, number five is Luca, um, which we're recording this on uh, May 9th, and Luca just got ejected again. So <laughs> we'll see how that affects him. And then we have the next five, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, Rudy Gobert, Devin Booker, and Julius Randle um, getting some love um, in terms of being a top ten. So I think looking at this race, it's pretty tied up in terms of um the joker getting it i it's weird because you take a look at the 76ers with which and i want to ask you this so i agree with you that i think the joker is the mvp of this season i think he's a massive difference maker we've seen especially now with jamal murray going down he is the anchor of that team however typically with these awards you know the top team the top player it's kind of hard not to give it to him so can you make the case against Joel Embiid as to why he is not the MVP considering the 76ers have the best record um in the Eastern Conference not in the NBA but in the East um and we've seen this is the most motivated we've seen Joel Embiid I think we can agree upon that he's playing at an MVP caliber level so can you can you explain why basically Joel has no shot of winning this award, even though the 76ers are the number one seed. And I probably agree with you, but making this, making the case, just explain why basically this MVP race is a wrap. 100%. I'll do it in one sentence. He missed one third of the season. There you go. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's all I need to say. I love Joel Embiid. You Me know, too. I mean, when he came into the league, I, I bought the hype that he he's like one of my favorites, Elijah Wan. I, I love Joel Embiid. I got nothing against him, but any player, I don't care who you miss a third of the season. Sorry. I, I don't even know that he should be, you know, we talked about in, in the past, a hypothetical, like kind of cutoff point to where you should play a certain number of games to be considered for these big regular season awards, these big end of the year incentives, because if you weren't around for a third of the season, why should you get the benefits of like an all NBA team or things like that. Maybe I'm being too harsh. Some people would think, but that's my thoughts. That's how I feel about it. The regular season is a grind. And if you want those awards, you, you should be a part of it. Um, Now look, that that's a little too harsh. Joel had a great season when he was on the court. Of course, injuries happen. It's understandable, but 
you're not getting my vote for the MVP. In my opinion, it's Jokic one, Giannis two. Giannis a great story too. Um, you know the the Sixers leapfrogged the Bucks this season. The Nets, of course, came out of the blue with a bunch of star power, but the Bucks still having a very solid year. Giannis very solid by the numbers. My case against him would be the East is still isn't as difficult, nearly as difficult as the West, even though we kind of started off the season thinking it may have been. No, not the case. The West is still top dogs. So that's in Jokic's favor. The other thing would be that if you look at the numbers, Giannis's numbers aren't quite as impressive as Jokic's numbers. And this this award in years past has been a very statistically driven award as far as who has more points per game, who has more rebounds, who has more assists, those being the, the primary three that we look at. And then, yeah, you can factor in defensive stuff as well. Giannis, an excellent defender in his own right, of course, an excellent basketball player, but just doesn't have the same shine on his season that Jokic does. Plus, let's be honest, voters have Giannis fatigue. They they just gave him the MVP last year. That's he had true. won it the year before that as well. They have a little bit of voter fatigue with Giannis. I think that's why he didn't get as much uh, as much talk around his MVP candidacy throughout the year. Um, and, and plus, you know, it's a smaller market team. It's, it's the reality. Um, so uh, I, I think Chris Paul belongs in, in the standings as well. But again, the numbers and, and it being a story of a lot of other players in Phoenix elevating their games around Chris Paul as well, I think harms Chris Paul's candidacy. But I do think it's Jokic, Giannis, and then Chris Paul are, are my top three Um what yeah. are your thoughts for like a top three? What are your thoughts for Giannis versus Jokic? Um, I agree with you on the Joker. I, I think it, just in terms of, because uh, it, it's weird because you take a look at Giannis, right? And he doesn't really have, it's not like he has a stat team with him either, but you're right. In terms of how they're built, I would say they have someone of the easier path. You know who I'm willing to put in my top three? He won't win, and I don't think he's deserving over the Joker. I think Julius Randle, the top three MVP candidate. The Knicks were laughing. I love it. The Knicks, and and this is going to feel it's it's weird. I'm biased. Maybe my bias is coming out because they have three former Chicago Bulls. I don't know. That's part <laughs> of my judgment. But you take a look at Julius Randle and this team. Who who would thought the Lake? I mean, the New York Knicks would be anything this season, and they're not just a team that is, you know, the eighth seed or they're just making a pretty run where they're like the seventh seed. They're one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference in a pandemic in which Brooklyn was supposed to have all the headlines and the next is supposed to be irrelevant. I mean, you take a look at their story before, you know, they couldn't get Kevin Durant. They couldn't get um, Kyrie Irving. Couldn't get, you know, James Harden, all these free agents. They were left for dead. They had to build the team, you know, even look at the guys there. I mean, it's, it's still, it's weird because the Knicks are getting props for actually like building young talent, but look at the guys they have on their team with Tosh Gibson and Derek Rose and Julius Randle, aforementioned Julius Randle. But yeah, I can't deny their performance and to go from the previous season, which they're a laughing stock to them being a, you know, legit playoff contender is incredible. And I think Julius Randle deserves credit for that. And, to me, 
I'm sorry, but and I, I would say over Devin Booker, Rudy Gobert, Steph Curry, and Damian Lillard in terms of who means more to their team, I would say Julius Randle. I, I would in terms of that MVP, what the award means. Now, who's the better player? It's Steph Curry easily. I mean, it's sure. just, um, But in terms of the impact and what this award means, I think he's top three. Now, I don't – there's I no way it. he's going to win. I don't know if there's – I – I would be astonished if he ends up in the top five unless Luca just gets suspended the rest of the season before not keeping his temper on check. But um, I think Randall deserves that shine. I, I think it's been an astonishing season, and I think they're going to be one of the low-key teams to watch um, in the playoffs. I think they're going to be very compelling to see. So mm. that's my thoughts on it. I think – I don't know. I, the injuries have really kind of soured me on this award Anybody that was like really serious in the running, they've gotten hurt. Yeah. And I think those years and it's unfortunate because I think honestly, if the Warriors were just like the fifth seed or better, Steph Curry would be a lock for this award. He's been playing insane basketball, but this, the way his, the team is not adapted around around him, unfortunately. And I I just, I can't put that there um, because his performances are not resulting in, wins for his team, even though I love seeing him play every single night. But that's also that's my thoughts. I'm not excited for this award. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't I don't really care who wins MVP. The awards, like I said earlier, just really kind of taking me out of it. But um, I think my, the main thing is if Julius Randle makes the top five in MVP voting, that will make me happy. Whoever wins, I, I don't really care, to be honest. But I know it's a big award. People like to discuss it. But I just think with the Injuries to Durant and anybody that gets any momentum, it seems like they get hurt. So it's it's just, it's just a bummer to see. So, yeah, yeah, I I see where you're coming from. I mean, I I'm definitely excited for Jokic. I I love sure. you know his style of basketball. Yeah, I love to see that that's like yeah getting rewarded on the biggest stage that he's getting recognized for that. It's it's not a it's not a season where his performance is getting swept under the rug because KD is averaging 30 points a game or, or something like that, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, injuries are what they are and it's unfortunate that so many stars have, have been hurt. I I love your sleeper Julius Randall. I mean, I think when you, when you really isolate the words, they're like most valuable player, which, you know, they say it's really the most outstanding performance of the regular season in the fine print there, which kind of changes it from, is it most valuable? Is it this, but you know, it's called the most valuable. So I, I love you making a case for Julius Randall there. You know, I think what we probably both agree will happen is, you know, they'll definitely give Julius Randall the most improved player award. And then, you know, that that'll be the uh, basically like, okay, we acknowledged you. So, don't expect a top five spot in MVP yeah. case, but, but I agree. I mean, with the Knicks being in fourth, it's uh, one of the most improbable things to happen. Yes. And maybe your boy, Tom Thibodeau will get his credit for coach of the year. I mean, certainly there there's heated debate for who's going to be coach of the year, but he has to be, you know, on the short list. He's in the running, but yeah. I just think with the sun's run, I don't think he can really top that. Yeah. That's um, who I am too. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on this, Matt, before we move on to the days of our lives with the Lakers? <laughs> oh, man. I, I think we've said plenty on the MVP there. Guys, let us know your thoughts in the comments uh, or get at us on our Twitter or whatever. Who do you have for MVP? Can you make a case realistically, please, for anyone except Jokic? Come on. I, I mean, like a, a real case that 
this guy is outright better and more deserving than Jokic. I don't think you can, but hey, get at me in the comments if you disagree. Agreed. So let's talk about the Lakers. <laughs> oh boy. So they're the seventh seed. And in your play in scenario, like you eloquently stated earlier, they would play the, the Warriors. In terms of ratings, this would be the marquee matchup for the playoffs. I mean, I hope it happens. Play oh, in please. or not. This so when entering this season, I I think we would all say the Lakers were the odds on favorite to, to win the NBA title. 80% of GMs. Yeah, exactly. So through injuries, through different shenanigans, they're the seventh seed. So my assumption is because I, I don't know if you want to take it a different angle on this, by all means, Matt, please. But at, once the playing games start, I think LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to be relatively healthy when everything goes. I, be, due to the limited fans, I don't think their seeding matters that much. As long as Anthony Davis and LeBron are in the lineup, I think they'll beat the Warriors in five games. It's, they're just, it's just too much. And the Warriors role players. They get one game. I'm oh, sorry. My bad. Sorry. Um, I mean, my mind's in old territory. No, you're, but you're one game, winner take all. It's, I think the Lakers win that fairly fairly easily, even with Steph Curry scoring 1,000 points. It's just the <laughs> the, 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 just the way they match up that the Lakers will take them out. I think I agree. W- once we get into the, the thick of it in terms of, a, of you know having multiple games in a series, I think the Lakers already – are still the favorites to go to the NBA finals the way they're built. So I guess my question is to you, Matt, with, with that being said, with their injuries, with LeBron, with Anthony Davis, has their continuity been affected enough to where their championship hopes have been jeopardized? Because we, because with Anthony Davis and LeBron, these are talented. It's an understatement. These are elite players in the end league. And I don't think they need just a warm-up game to just get acclimated back. But in terms of the long-term grind of the playoffs and the wear and tear, do you do you think due to their previous injuries that's going to have an effect? What do you think? So here's here's what I'll say: if if they don't get a regular season game together, you are playing a dangerous game of Russian roulette, just <clears throat> walking on the court with the Warriors. Steph Curry, we talked about forty-nine points in twenty-nine minutes. He's been playing. He's been on fire. He's been leading the league in scoring. You want to step into a one-game scenario? Now, I agree with you. On a talent level, yes, these guys should take care of business. They are still, in my opinion, if they are healthy, they are still the favorites to win the title, even at the seven seed. But you're at probably your highest level of risk that in, in a one-game, anything-could-go-wrong scenario. You are putting an extreme amount of risk in even starting off the first quarter of that game slow and somewhat out of rhythm. And I I do think rhythm is a real thing, but if they're able to be healthy and even get in a few practices together, I think they're going to be fine against the Warriors. The Warriors, of course, have been decimated all season. I just wouldn't want to take that risk. Not like they asked to be injured or anything like that. Of course, LeBron with his ankle, AD with the back issues. He recently had to sit another game because he had those back strains that came back, uh, back spasms, excuse me. So, but the, the reality is too, that even if the Lakers drop this game to the Warriors, which I think could happen, even though I wouldn't bet on it, 
they still have another game against either the Grizzlies or the Spurs. And I can't imagine them losing those two games straight. And they may want to face Utah rather than Phoenix. Um, he LeBron may want to match up against a younger Donovan Mitchell, who you can maybe put more defensive focus on to kind of slow them down than his buddy Chris Paul, who maybe knows more of his tricks and a Phoenix Suns team that, you know, I, I wouldn't argue that they're better equipped than the Jazz to take on the Lakers, but maybe, I mean, I'm sure LeBron knows something on the basketball court that I definitely do not. Um, you know, so the Lakers should still be the favorites if they're healthy. We said this back when LeBron initially had this ankle injury and, you know, we said he's going to be out until, uh, until mid-May or so with this ankle injury. We said, hey, if the Lakers come back healthy in the playoffs, we're not worried about it. So I'm definitely sticking by that in that I'm not worried if they get a game or two together. But, man, it's a lot of risk for the Warriors but again, you have the safety net game afterwards against the Spurs or the Grizzlies. I just, as much as I love John Morant, I can't picture him eliminating LeBron from the playoffs. But so it happen <laughs> in a one in a one game scenario. You don't see LeBron being like, "I'm guarding Steph Curry, I'm locking him down." Just from a defensive matter, just like, "Hey, this, there's no way this guy's getting 50 in this game, not over me." If if it comes down to it. You know LeBron would take that assignment. Le- LeBron's been better defensively this year, so that's a fair point. Um, and he did it to Derrick Rose in the past. It's been kind of a long time since he's had to true. lock someone down. That that's why hard. I remember. <laughs> and Steph, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring that up. Yeah. Uh, and he, I, I would love to see LeBron because I'm, I'm not sure if he has the lockdown capability against Steph Curry with how Steph can step back and, and hurt you from anywhere on the court. But, um, you know, again, one game scenario, like I, I just, I don't know who on the Warriors is going to slow down AD at all. If AD comes in there aggressive as he Agreed. should. Uh, so it's really, as we've said all year with the Lakers, you know, they are going to be their own worst enemy. If, if they are healthy, if they are focused, there's, Nobody they should lose to. And I even count the Nets in that. Um, and I know not everyone agrees with me on that to this point, but I, I got to see the Nets, you know, congeal and come together Agreed. in the playoffs here because there's, you know, on, on the other coast, there's a lot of drama over there too. Um, it's it's pretty quiet there, but we need to get some guys on the court. So, you know, I, I also, part of me just wonders, and, it, you know, this isn't meant to be some conspiracy thing or whatever, but how much of this too is just, man, I want to get as much rest as possible before these big games coming up. We know LeBron wasn't happy about how the season was starting quickly, along with a lot of other players. LeBron just happened to be very vocal about it. So it, it's going to be fascinating to see it play out. My money's still on the Lakers, uh, but I, I will definitely be watching on the edge of my seat if, if they do end up matched up like this against the Warriors. Let's play the nightmare scenario, and then we'll talk about Anthony Davis. Yeah. Uh, bad choice in video game etiquette. Um, if the Lakers get bounced, they lose to the Warriors. Do they get a pass because of the season? Or do you think this would be a stain on LeBron James's reputation? If the, let's say worst possible scenario, e- even if they beat the, let's 
let's just say under expectations. So they lose to the Warriors, they beat the Grizzlies, and then they get bounced by like the Suns or Jazz or something like that. Or they just get, or they lose. They lose to the Warriors or Grizz or in the Grizz and the Spurs. Do you think this is a black mark considering the guy just won a title last year? Um, is it completely reversed in terms of LeBron? LeBron's reputation. It's, it's a stain. It's a stain okay. for me, no doubt, because let's let's compare him to the GOAT, Michael Jordan. We, that's who he's racing against. Let's let's be honest. Let's take almost everything else off yeah. the table. That's true. Um, if the Bulls would have came back in that in that lockout season and Jordan loses in the first round of the playoffs, would that change the way we think about him? I I think so. I mean, Jordan lost in playoff series, of course. Jordan's so legendary, everyone just kind of like forgets that he was on the Wizards. I, I don't blame him for that. I thought it was amazing. But um, I, I think following that 98 Bulls season that was just just so perfect and so dramatic. I mean, of course, we've talked about the last dance and everything. If they come back and, you know, lay an egg in that first round, I, I think it hurts his legacy for sure going out like that. Um, so... Yeah, I think it hurts LeBron too, and I, I think it's it's all fair when you're trying to be the best to ever do it. That's that's how high the standards are, and you know I hope LeBron isn't setting these excuses by saying things like flipping his opinion on now hating the play-in game just because he happens to be in the play-in game now. You can look up his past comments on loving the structure of the play-in game. It's true uh, that he said not even a year ago, and now it's flipped because he's in the play-in game. Um, and you can look at his comments about his ankle. We're talking about a high ankle sprain. It, it can be a bad injury. It can be a nagging injury for sure. It can be an injury that repeats itself. But he, he went as far as to say he'll, he'll never be 100% again. Seems a little overdramatic to me. I wonder if he's kind of really trying to sell that as some kind of chess move in the playoffs. But, man, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's any excuse when 80% of the league thinks you're going to win the title and then you exit in the first round. I, you know, we criticized the Clippers a lot last year. They were heavy, not even this heavily favored to win the title. And I think the criticism of the Clippers last year was deserved. So I, I would hold the same criticism to LeBron this year. Yeah. And, and the I, Lakers as a whole. I feel you. The, the bar is high. And when you're in that go conversation, because I think what I hate about this whole conversation with, you know, in terms of being the top players in NBA history or comparing somebody to Michael Jordan, you players take it as a knock, like, oh, you're you're slandering LeBron. You think he's garbage. He should, you know, all, it's like, no, like, this is a different type of conversation. This is not discussing if he should be a Hall of Famer. Duh, he should. This is if he's the greatest player or not. So the standards are different than if he should be in the hall of fame. It's two different things. So I agree with you. It would, it would be a stain on his record and also the two, uh, the, the talent of that team. They should not be losing to the Warriors. They should not be losing to the Grizzlies or the Spurs in a one game scenario. Like that, that's inexcusable. And I think again, similar yeah. to Kobe, when you saw, I think, what was it? I think was it the Phoenix Suns where they got they lost in like the first or second round or something uncharacteristically, and it's just dude, Kobe got really upset. And I think from that game on, it was like this guy just cannot be in the same breath as Michael. Like Michael Jordan would never do this. And you know, I I respect Kobe immensely, but like from that point on, it's like don't mention his name in Michael Jordan's zip code. Like 
that can't happen. And I think <clears throat> with this, I mean, I, I I think Michael's the goat anyway, regardless what LeBron would do. But especially if, if in this scenario, doomsday scenario, I don't want to hear another conversation with LeBron and Michael Jordan ever. I, I don't <laughs> like just move on from there. Um, so yeah. I agree with you, Matt. Yeah, and I I think even, you know, you're right. The GOAT thing is distracting. So even if we just take it in the framework of this season, where we keep bringing it up, the 80% of GMs felt the Lakers were going to win the title. I think that alone, too. uh, And you have a guy that is is the greatest of his era, if we even just say that. And one of the greatest duos that we've ever seen in basketball history, at least for one season, which was just last season in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I I think it's, it's a massive disappointment. Um, So uh, again, even trying to keep Michael Jordan out of my mind as much as possible. I feel like I I still think criticism is deserved and, uh, and you know, I I don't care um, what kind of weak sauce, comments LeBron has to say about yeah. it. I'm, I'm sorry, but Agreed. this is this is competitive professional basketball. Agreed. Um, I want to talk about this Anthony Davis situation. And when did you bring this up to me? Was it Friday? The, this was, yeah, yeah. Right. I think it so happened this is, the day before, maybe on Thursday of this past week. Okay, so that is May 7th. We're in May 9th now, depending on when you're watching this. So I've been on Twitter. I haven't seen it trending or anything in terms of this incident. So who knows that this is going to be a big story Monday, but if you're on like Twitch or you're on YouTube, I guess Anthony Davis is a huge gamer. Um, it could be from wrong, Matt, cause you, you don't want to brought it to my attention. If I'm missing something, correct me, but he was addition- streaming at least. I, I don't know yeah. how often he does that or whatever. I don't follow him. I just saw this trend on Twitter to be honest. So they're, they're playing Grand Theft Auto. And like my brother, he plays GTA and I'll, I, it's my brother. You can play any game you want to, right? Like my brother follows traffic laws. Like that's weird. Like he likes following the rules in GTA in terms of <laughs> how like, he'll stop at a red light. Like he'll just drive normally. He's like All one of people, five people that does that. <laughs> correct. Yes. Unless he's doing a mission or something. But I guess in this scenario, they're doing some kind of mission. There's a avatar character, NPC, whatever you want to call it. That looks like Steph Curry. He's wearing a Steph Curry jersey. They, they guess they hit him over the head or they, they kidnap him. This NPC character, they take him on top of a roof, right? Um, there's other characters around. Like on a cliff. cliff on a cliff. On yeah. a cliff. And I think, now, is it Anthony Davis who commits the actual act of this? Okay. So basically, there's this Steph Curry character. And Anthony Davis is playing another character with a gun. And he shoots Steph Curry, the Steph Curry character. And then what does he say afterwards? We out. We out. They're out. And, and him and just, his buddy's playing <clears throat> hop in the car and drive off. So. so you brought this to my attention, Matt. I think we're on the same page. I mean, because a lot of people were saying, well, what's the big deal? There's plenty of video game. It's like, okay, so you, let's say you're a doctor. And let's say you hate this other doctor dude in your <laughs> practice or whatever. Which I mean, how would, you, how would it feel if this doctor yeah. – like created you in a video game and then killed you in a video game. How would that make like, how would that make you feel? Uh, are you yeah. serious? Let alone this guy's a public figure <laughs> and he plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. Like this is insane. Um, I, I, as we talked about off air, I, I don't, in terms of what's going to happen, I don't think there's going to be any action from the league. I don't think this is enough of a story. There's not enough traction. I don't think anything's going to happen, but 
you know, five years down the line, if Anthony Davis becomes the face of the league or something and somebody digs this up, this could be a problem for him. So just because it's not a problem now, it could be a problem in five years. Now, what should happen? I think he should be fine. I think this is inexcusable behavior of somebody of his um, caliber. When you are a public figure and we, when you are representing an organization, there are certain things that you give up. I mean, I mean, if you're a private citizen, you want to you know do stuff to your coworkers. I mean, that's terrible, but that's your prerogative, and no one's going to see it. But when you are a public figure, everything's getting blasted on there, and you have the attention of not only your peers but the entire world. And you're representing the L.A. Lakers along with the other brands that you're endorsing. And so there's different rules that apply to you where that's unfair or fair. That's another discussion. But I think he should be fined by the league um, right, a dollar amount. I would say 50000 I I just – you know. This is a deliberate act. This is not some accident. And again, this is your coworker. Um, so I think there should be a message like, hey, you, you can't do this in a video game, man. Uh, this is like totally not cool. And I think he owes Steph Curry an apology. But not even rivals. That's, that's a weird thing, too. Like, I don't understand what you have a beef with this guy. You don't play the same position. There's no, to my knowledge, trash talk. Anthony Davis seems like a quiet dude. Um, somewhat. He's not, yeah, I don't. Yeah, so to me... Yeah, I'm not liking this. I think he should be fined fifty thousand. I don't think a game suspension is warranted, but if there's if there's going to be any consequences with him, I don't really think so. Well, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, no, I'm with you 100% on this. Uh, I think the other reason you have to do this is to set a precedent that this Agreed. doesn't happen with other players in the league that are streaming games against you know other other players. Like you know, we we said uh, when we were talking about this. Uh, you know, this past Friday, no problem at all if they are online together playing this. Like, that that's a totally different thing uh, because, you know, friends play Call of Duty together all the time or, you know, whatever, or Grand Theft Auto online. Uh, and I, I'm someone who played Grand Theft Auto when I was a teenager. Yeah, I played it too. Not in yeah. this club that's like, we got to end violent video games or, or things like that. I, I think, you know, that, that needs a lot more nuanced research if we're going to go there. But just like what you said, because there is a personal connection and these guys have played on teams together before in the past, like not an NBA team together, but when you think of like national teams and the national scene, how well these guys actually do relatively know each other, even as sort of um, not even necessarily coworkers since they're not on the same current team, but just, um, I guess, experts in their field, so to speak, as, as elite level athletes, you know that there's a level of familiarity between these guys. And, and we've talked about before how connected the league is through AAU and all that. So yeah, it's, it's just weird. You wouldn't do this in grant or at least I, I would hope most people wouldn't do this. I hope most people find this creepy and disturbing. I don't think you would do this to someone that, you know, personally in real life or about someone you know personally in real life I like know, you mentioned uh, and I just think it's creepy disturbing and weird and I'm with you 100% on that I, I don't really have anything more to add to it you're you're right on this for sure yeah. totally totally weird um, do you want to move on to our sleeper teams in the um, NBA playoffs yeah let's do it um, so I want to break down and I had it here here we go here it is um, so this is of today so it's fairly recent and this is the brackets of the NBA playoffs. We're going to try to break this down as succinctly as possible. So I won't go over everything, but some of the matchups would be the Jazz would be the one seed. The Sixers would be the other one seed. They would play the eighth seed. 
So right now, basically, the teams that don't have to worry about the play-in tournament would be the Jazz, number one, the Nuggets with the fourth seed, the Mavericks, um, the fifth seed, the Clippers, the third seed, and the Trailblazers it would be the sixth seed, um, and the Phoenix Suns, okay? And in, in the playoff tournament would be, like you mentioned, Matt, the Lakers would play the Warriors, and then the Grizzlies would play the Spurs. Um, so... And let's go and put the East. And so, like I mentioned, the Sixers would be the number one seed. The Knicks would play the Hawks in the first round, 4-5. The Bucks would play the Heat, 3-6. The Nets would play the seventh seed in this play-in tournament. So basically, if you're the one and you're the two seed, you get kind of a benefit because you're playing the teams from this play-in tournament. Maybe they're worn down. They, you know, you never you don't know what they're dealing with. Um, you get a little bit of an advantage. So... And again, I want to break in because we, we didn't really discuss the – maybe you mentioned it, Matt, forgive me. Um, the play-in tournament for the Eastern Conference, the Wizards would play the Pacers and then the Celtics. And that's another disappointing team. I mean, honestly, I mean, that's a huge shock. They're playing the Hornets. So in this tournament here, and I guess in the uh, – this is unlike any other playoffs we've, we've experienced. I mean, this is not the bubble, but yet we're not back to normal either. We're in between. And not to mention you throw in this, you know – play-in tournament scenario in which we have to travel as well i mean we had i think we had to play in tournament last year and there was the bubble though so it was a little bit different so Mm -hmm. in terms of sleeper teams teams that we're not talking about who do you think in your eyes is going to surprise people when we get to you know the eastern conference western conference finals you're like holy cow we didn't see this coming is there anybody that's catching your eye or do you think it's going to go according to plan man you know to be honest and and just candid about this i i think um at least with those those top seed teams it's tough to imagine anyone kind of rocking the boat here i think in let me just mention a few teams in the eastern conference and western conference that that i kind of think are interesting to follow along with the atlanta hawks who have a very, very potent offense versus a Knicks team who, let's be honest, they're one of the few teams in the league playing defense throughout the regular season. And I think the 76ers would certainly count in that. The Jazz would count in that uh, for the most part. But you have, um, in my opinion, the Hawks' offense and depth as they continue to get healthier uh, is something that could surpass the Knicks defense as, as good as it is in their intensity. I would personally like to see the Knicks win that series to just because they're such a feel good story of the year, at least to me seeing Julius Randall and all the things we talked about earlier, but I, I could definitely see a scenario where the Hawks upset the Knicks. I know that's only a five over a four seed at this point. The other team I'll say who's getting healthier and who's looking, you know, kind of frisky right now, a team that made some noise last year, the Miami Heat. Now they're scheduled to be up against the Bucks at this point uh, in that 3-6 matchup. So we'd be getting this matchup, correct me if I'm wrong, but we'd be getting it in the first round this year rather than the second round like last year was, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but that's an interesting matchup to watch. Uh, another repeat, I could see the heat pulling that out, even though it's less likely this year because of the added depth of drew holiday holiday, of course, on the bucks. The other team that I think is interesting to watch is the Hornets. 
if they got paired against the Nets, I don't think they really have a hope to be the healthy Nets team. But if the Nets are still iffy on if they're playing or not, I look, I, I'm just saying this because I would love to see more LaMelo Ball if, if he can come back and be a part sure. of this. Uh, so there are a couple teams at the East. Uh, I don't know. Let's pause there and let me get some of your thoughts on the East. Do you see anyone else with with a hope or with any of those teams that I mentioned? Do you like any of those teams to keep an eye on? Boston compels me. Yeah, um, I thought about I, them too. Uh, I wish maybe we can, I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but I'm curious what Vince Miracle's opinion, um, one of the, one of the uh, experts on betting, what he, how he feel about the Celt, um on the Celtics and how, what their chances are. Now they have a lot of turmoil. Ooh, taking them against the Nets. Interesting. But if they win that. That's yep. yeah. That's a nice, it's a nice like underdog matchup to seven. Like yeah, it's true. So I know Brooklyn's belt is easy just to say they're going to destroy the Celtics, but they have a team when they're motivated to pull off an upset. The ingredients are there. So do I think it's going to happen? No, I just think the blast, the Celtics are just too unstable as a chemistry on a team. I think if they were like injury written and, they were still tight, and let's say the players were coming back and they were able to mold, I would be down to pick them absolutely for the upset. But I just think there's too many kind of chemistry issues there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't do it. But they're a team to watch. Um, to your point with the Heat, do you know what's going on with Tyler Hero? Because there's been a lot of controversy with this dude. Like It seems he's like one of the most hated guys in Miami now. He, you know, <laughs> Compared to when he was in the bubble, I mean, he was a sensation. But now – I think his his play is down. He's had a more of a down year. Yeah. So he's kind of a sophomore key. slump. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, if he can kind of return to his heights and in, in the bubble, I think that he can be a player. But I think without him, I think the Bucks are gonna like. I think they're gonna have an easy time with them. But I think it's kind of gonna depend on playoff performance. I think it's gonna be it's it sucks about Jamal Murray, um, but at least we'll get to see with Tyler Hero, especially with everything he's gone through, how he's going to perform and kind of get the spotlight on him again. So I'm, I'm curious to see, see how that goes. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's been kind of, you know, quickly here. It's, it's been the narrative of the heats year that sure. they've had these injuries, which have given opportunities for Tyler hero to step up. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't really been able to do it this year. Having that sophomore slump kind of season, he hasn't always been terrible. He has had flashes of brilliance, but just hasn't been the consistent force that almost was the key piece in a James Harden trade. If you'll remember when there are rumors of the heat trying to get, James Harden out of Houston before the Nets landed him. So he definitely has not played up to that type of, of trade value. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think they just need to be healthy and rolling and Bam and Jimmy Butler have to be on fire for them to be able to take out the Bucks again this year. Um, I, I'm with you. I wouldn't bet on it. Should we um, take a look at the, the West real quick? Yeah, go for it. Cool. So... Oh, goodness. <laughs> you know, the Lakers being at seven kind of throws a wrench in a lot of things. Yeah. Like, I, because for myself, like, I'm, I'm still, if we get to, let's say, Lakers beat whoever they're matched with in that 7-8 matchup, and they go in as the seven seed against Phoenix, I still, if LeBron and AD are there and, you know, 80-plus percent healthy, 
I, I can't pick the Suns over the Lakers. I'm sorry. I I, I, I wish I could. Sorry, um, Josh. <laughs> the the other thing too, like just looking at these potential matchups, you know, like Utah. Let's say they play. Well, take your pick, like Golden State, Memphis, or San Antonio. Anyone other than the Lakers, who they would likely land. I I just don't see the, any of those teams in the first round making noise against Utah, even the Golden State Warriors, because I think it's just you lock down Steph and then you're good to go. Uh, and the Jazz, with the way, surprisingly, that they've been shooting the three ball this year, they're going to be able to keep up with the Warriors, even if if Steph is going. So I don't see any drama there. So we've covered one eight two seven. Look, I I guess, long story short, like, okay, Right now, it would be 3-6, Clippers at 3, 3-seed, three Portland at the 6-seed. I just think Dame would have too much to overcome, as much as I dislike the Clippers. The Clippers have had a great season, a great regular season. I still I don't trust them to deal with a lot of adversity in the playoffs, but I would trust them to get through Portland in that first round. So I can't really pick Portland as a sleeper there. Um so I guess my only sleeper I could maybe see, I wouldn't pick them, but Dallas at the five seed overcoming Denver at the four seed as it is right now. Now, you know, I love me some Denver Nuggets. They're kind of my adopted team while the Rockets are struggling. But I, I also think there, you know, the Nuggets have enough on defense, especially with the addition of Aaron Gordon, that they're going to be able to at least keep Luka somewhat slowed down uh, enough to where the nuggets will, will rise above the Mavericks there. So I have, and, and Dallas has had a lot of drama this year too. There's yeah. even talk recently from Mark Cuban about Kristaps Porzingis and uh, Luka Doncic. Like these guys just don't like each other. Oh, which wow. That had never come out before oh, until geez. recently. So there's a lot of issues going on in Dallas there where I, I can't even, so, Okay. Shut up, Matt. I, I got no sleepers in the West, basically, is what I'm telling you. Gotcha. Understood. Do you, do you see anyone rising up? Uh, no. <laughs> like, as much as I want to pick the Trailblazers, I don't think I they have enough to beat the Clippers. I wish I could. I mean, and I just think it's tempting, but just the matchups don't lead to it. Um, I think there are really two volatile top seeds, and that's the Suns and the Jazz. Um, and particularly with the Phoenix Suns. I mean, the playoffs are different. I mean, and especially, I mean, that's brutal. They'll probably have to play the Lakers. <laughs> that is, yeah. that's brutal, man. Like, that <laughs> is a, basically you're facing not only the defending champions, but it's a horrible matchup. And I just don't see them over overcoming that at all, unfortunately. Um, in in the playing game, I mean, taking on the playing game winner. So yeah, I, I don't see it, man. I um, I don't see any sleeper teams. I think what to watch for this year is Donovan Mitchell. He's he's taken a lot of crap from Shaq. You know, the whole <laughs> thing about him not being a you know elite player in this league. And this is the time to do it. You're the one seed. You know, you're you want that respect as a one seed, go out there and earn it. I mean, this yep. right here, you know, and in this scenario, especially where you know you have LeBron, you know, hurt 
Anthony Davis injured, all this stuff happening, um, along with other key superstar players on other teams. You get to prove your medal. And, you know, looking at this now, you know, the Jazz would, you know, play the, the one seed there, you know, play the eight seed, excuse me. And, you know, if they're like in a scenario, they have to play the, the Warriors or something. And let's say Steph Curry outplays them and say they lose. I mean, that's that's going to stick with Donovan Mitchell forever. Like, that's just going to be such an embarrassing thing on his record. And, yeah, it's, it's a lot of pressure on, on the Jazz and Rudy Gobert in particular. I mean, yeah. and especially not only that, but COVID too. I mean, it, you know, there's a lot of symbolism, you know, that's been going on ever since that game was ended, I think, in Dallas when, you know, the Jazz was playing them. It was a lot of the line here. So I think the pressure is really on Donovan Mitchell, even though that's not – a storyline has been brought up yet, but Matt, to, to your point, I don't see any sleeper teams in, in this scenario. I, I wish there was, <laughs> but I don't see any. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the, other than the Lakers being in seventh, I mean, the West is kind of seated appropriately. The Nuggets, I predicted to be higher at the start of this year, but then of course, like they lost Jamal Murray sure. late in the year. So I yeah. think even they are appropriately seated right now as that four seed. You're right, though. The table is set for a star to be born. Could it be Donovan Mitchell? Could it be Devin Booker and Chris Paul kind of redeeming a lot of past playoff failures? You know, it's the opportunity is there. Uh, I mean, especially if you're getting a more fatigued Lakers team, every season is is some element of luck with these injuries, of course, and things like that. So uh, we will have locked in seedings next week that we can talk about and and give more context to all this. But I, I think there's going to be a lot of great matchups too, I guess is the good news. For sure. Um, it's something I'm looking forward to. It's weird. Cause like, you know, especially with the West it doesn't seem too exciting in terms of any sleeper teams, but the matches I'm excited for. And if the Lakers play the Warriors, that's going to be fantastic. That's going to be great drama. Um, so I, I like to play a tournament. I think it not only has, ramifications in terms of the teams actually in those playing games, but also, you know, with the Lakers dropping so low, you know, the one seed or the two seed, however it lends out to be, they can't just take like a vacation in that first, in that matchup. Right. Like for sure. That, that's, that's a serious um, team to take hold. So I think it, it presents a lot of interesting questions compared to if we didn't have a play in tournament. So I'm excited to see it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think some great matchups in the East as well, but right from the get go in the Western conference, it's, it's going to be must watch playoff basketball, which is great. The The league needs it right now. So yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome for sure. Um, anything else, Matt, before we say goodbye this week, that's a wrap you guys, as always, thank you for listening so much. Make sure if there were any particular interviews that you enjoyed this week or in weeks past, be sure to reach out to those guests and let them know that you enjoyed that appearance. Helps out us, helps out them, and just passes that good feeling around. Uh, but that's all I got, man. Always a pleasure chatting with you about these things. Looking forward to next week's episode as well. You guys stay tuned. We've always got that interview content coming your way too. 
yeah, appreciate it, Matt. As always, um, check out our archive. Uh, we are on the OTG Basketball Network, otgbasketball.com. Um, interviews with Justin Herzig, Ben Gulliver, Freddie Coleman of ESPN, Jeff Stotts, John Weinbach, uh, the producer of The Last Dance, um, Sharad Soshi. Um, and and c- congratulations to her. She's with the, I believe, the ringer now. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah. congratulations to C-Rad. Um, you know, interviews with everybody. I mean, we, in terms of uh, DJ Shauna, the official DJ at the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so much to go over. Could be here for another hour and a half just talking about our guests. But I'm always appreciative of them joining the show. Check out our archive with all those latest interviews. We are available on iTunes. Leave us a review on that. And send us an email at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. And as Matt said, we'll be back next week uh, breaking down more clarity in the playoff picture. So looking forward to chatting that up. So for Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum. We'll see you next time. Have a good week. Peace.